Galatians chapter 5. We're at the end of verse 22 after, I think this is the seventh week in the fruit of the Spirit. We are uh, getting into the last triplet of, this, of these, uh, this fruit of the Spirit. That is the characteristic of faithfulness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and if you'd like to follow along um, in the same translation I'm using, the English Standard Version, and you don't have that translation, it's on page 975 in the Pew Bible. Would you stand with me while, while I read verses 22 through 25? When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it with me, say, thanks be to God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. When I first memorized this verse years ago when I was in the Gideons, uh, there was a memory packet, and this was one of those uh, verses in that packet, and, and we memorized in the King James Version. And the King James Version says uh, that the fruit of the Spirit here is faith. You'll notice in our translation, it's faithfulness. Uh, well, the challenge is that the same, word, the same Greek word that's translated faith is the word that's translated faithfulness. But I think the English Standard Version and most other uh, contemporary versions have it right here. It is, it is, he, Paul is talking here about faithfulness, and we primarily believe that because all of the other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit listed here are also uh, are also ethical virtues that are shown toward others. It's not mainly talking about faith, but it is talking about our faithfulness toward God, toward the gospel, toward one another in the body of Christ. This faithfulness means loyalty, trustworthiness, dependability, uh, And even though uh, I think Paul is talking about our faithfulness here, our dependability, our loyalty toward God, toward others, toward the gospel, our trustworthiness, though he, is ma he mainly means faithfulness and not our faith, yet faithfulness relies on faith. It depends on faith. It is grounded on faith. Uh, in other words, our faithfulness absolutely depends on our faith in God's faithfulness. Doubting God's faithfulness leads to our failure in faithfulness. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about here from an Old Testament example of uh, Saul, King Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 10. In 1 Samuel 10... Uh, 
Saul, uh, Samuel anoints Saul uh, as king, and then he tells Saul, says, now, I want, uh, when you go to Gilgal, and I want you to go to Gilgal, behold, I am coming to you, he says, to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. And he says to Saul, seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Well, some time later, Saul goes down to Gilgal, like Samuel said, and uh, he goes there in order to meet, uh, in order to do battle with the Philistines who had gathered to war against him. Now, the Philistine army was uh, huge, uh, 30,000 chariots they had, 6,000 horsemen, and it says troops like the sand on the seashore. Israel was vastly outnumbered. Israel had 3,000 men. That was it. No chariots, no horsemen, 3,000 men. And Saul was told by Samuel, he said, now wait seven days until I come to you and offer these sacrifices and beseech God's blessings. Well, Saul's waiting, he's waiting, and he's waiting, and uh, people, uh, the, the Israelite soldiers are starting to flee. They're starting to desert, right? They're finding places to hide because they know that uh, they are overwhelmed. This is going to be suicide. And so it says they were hiding in caves and holes and rocks and tombs in cisterns, deserting the battle. And Samuel, I mean, Saul, of course, is, uh, I mean, how would, how would you be feeling? He's starting to panic, right? Five days has gone by, six days has gone by, seven days, still no Samuel. Uh, well, uh, what would you do? I, I might be looking toward the hills also. But, you know, God, God often seems to come late, doesn't he? he? He's like me on Sunday morning coming to church, you know. <laughs> Preparation up to the last second and then late. Uh, and, Sa and Saul is thinking, I, I, need, I need to give moral encouragement to the troops. I need to give some kind of speech. I need to do something to rally, rally the men. They're deserting me. The enemy's huge. What am I going to do? Samuel hasn't come to offer the offerings to beseech the blessing of God. Uh, maybe, I should, maybe I should go ahead and offer the offerings. That will help rally the troops Bring the troops together. We'll know that we have the blessing of God. I sometimes think maybe they had a, a theological conference at the moment to try to decide whether the efficacy of the offering lies in the offering itself or in the one who offers. You know, that's the kind of, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a joke. It's kind of, uh, that's the kind of debate the church had about baptism. You know, is, is, the, baptism, is the baptism affected? Does it count if the person who did the baptism is, uh, was not a believer or apostatizes later on or whatever. And uh, so, uh, well, they didn't really have a conference like that. But Saul decided, I, I can offer up this sacrifice as well as Samuel, even though he wasn't authorized to do so. Uh, Saul was king. He was not priest. Uh, Samuel was authorized to offer up the offerings. But Saul, Samuel, uh, Saul says, you need the blessing of God, I'll go ahead. And he goes ahead. And he does it. And then, guess what? Samuel shows up. What have you done? 
Um, I wonder often, what would I have done differently? Um, And how often have you resorted to your own resources when God didn't seem to show up on time? You waited, you prayed, he didn't come. And so you resort to your own resources. And uh, I've done that. But the principle I want to highlight here is this. That our faithfulness falters when our faith in God's faithfulness fails. Let me say that again. Our faithfulness falters when our faith in God's faithfulness fails. What we need above everything else in order to be faithful to God, to his gospel, to one another, what we need more than anything else is to, is to know that our God and to trust that our God truly is faithful, that he will come through, that he will show up, that he, he will do what he has promised to do. And if we lose hope, In the faithfulness of God, guess what happens? We start taking control ourselves, don't we? We start figuring it out out for ourselves. We start relying on our own resources. So what I want to do for a little while first is to meditate on God's faithfulness. We want to meditate on God's faithfulness. And I want to do this in two ways. I want to see God's faithfulness stated that the scripture reminds us over and over and over again that God is faithful, and then to see how God has demonstrated his faithfulness through the years. God's faithfulness stated. Now, I'm going to run through uh, a number of verses here. You can keep up in your Bibles. I've asked the guys if they can try to keep up on the overhead in case you can't keep up, because I'm going to go fairly quickly here. This is God's faithfulness stated. And I begin in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Numbers 23, 19, where we read that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Uh, you know, Psalm, Psalm uh, 116, 11 says, all, man, all mankind are liars, but God is no man except when he comes as a man in order to demonstrate his faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That that phrase, steadfast love, is the word you've learned, many of you, is the Hebrew word hesed. It's covenant-keeping love. And and, uh, in, in the Bible often, God's faithfulness and his chesed, covenant-keeping love, are really synonymous. And here he says, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, calls God the rock. He's a rock. And says, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He, He's the rock because he's solidly dependable, isn't he? If you're going to run from the enemy and hide in the rocks, hide in this rock. 
Psalm 40, verse 11, is a messianic psalm. It's, quote, it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10 as Christ's own words. Psalm 40, verse 11 says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me, your steadfast love. There's that word hesed again. And your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And that word faithfulness in Hebrew means firmness, permanency like a rock. Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 146, verse 5 and 6 says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. See, God, God's faithfulness is a comfort, he says, to the weak, to the weak among his people uh, whom he has sworn to help. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. He keeps faith. That means he's faithful forever to do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, moving to the New Testament also, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 begins, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the faithful answer to God's Old Testament promises. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know this one, no temptation is overtaking you but such as, as is common to man. God is what? faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, know, knowing God's faithfulness encourages our faithfulness. Do you see that there? God, Since God is faithful, he will enable you to endure the temptation faithfully, to persevere. Then we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 13, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I should tell you, there is a debate over this verse a little bit, whether, whether he means uh, that God remains faithful faithful to punish people who are faithless, who have abandoned the faith, or whether he means God is faithful to still save the Christian who stumbles into faithlessness. It, it depends on whether faithless here refers to apostasy, an all-out abandonment of the faith, or whether it means a temporary failure, maybe like Abraham's failure in the Old Testament, or like Peter's failure in denying Christ. Uh, and it, it is difficult to know. Most, most contemporary commentators, at least, uh, say that this, me, that this refers to the Christian who is temporarily faithless, that God remains faithful to still save him. And what, what a comfort that is, isn't it? Well, what an encouragement that God keeps his own. Uh, he will preserve us to the end, which is, uh, again, what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Do what? Preserve you and present you blameless at the coming of Jesus in the context there. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's our hope for defense against the devil, that God is, that the Lord is faithful. Titus 1, verse 2, refers to God who never lies. Hebrews 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23 says, I, I really want you to see this one. This really sums up what I'm trying to say. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, let us be faithful. Why? For he who promised is faithful. You see the connection between the two. Because he is faithful, let us be faithful. If he's not faithful and we begin to doubt his faithfulness, it will be difficult for us to hold fast the confession of our hope. So we meditate on his faithfulness. Finally, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, here is, here is our encouragement to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is what? Thank you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's faithfulness stated now, we often say to ourselves and we say to one another, look, God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, persevere. God is faithful. Uh, but those are statements, and statements can be easily doubted. The question is, is, is God really faithful? Where do we see that? How do, how do, where do we find God's faithfulness played out? And so we want to think about for a few minutes God's faithfulness seen. God's faithfulness stated, but God's faithfulness is seen. And I want to see, we want to see God's faithfulness displayed in two primary ways. The first way is through creation. Look at creation. And I'm, I'm referring here to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. This verse is given, uh, these words of God are given to Noah after the flood, after things have dried up, after Noah has set foot out on the ground and offered up sacrifices. We read there, uh, God says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not, shall not cease. Do you doubt God's faithfulness? Then, then listen, eh, remember every sunset and sunrise. How many of those have you seen? One a day, right? For your, I, I don't imagine any of you, unless you've been knocked out in the hospital or something, you have not missed a sunset or a sunrise. There's not been lacking one. All the days of our life, for thousands of years, the sun has risen, the sun has set. Spring is coming again. You know, how often does spring come? Every year. Has, it ever, has God ever failed to bring spring? Sometimes they've been short. Now, if you live, if you live on the equator, maybe it's, you know, it's just you, you miss something there. But God's, God's people in Israel are about the same latitude we are. We don't miss the spring. We love the, love the spring. 
harvest year after year says to us, God is faithful. I, God says, am faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. And so we sing summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with what? All nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. He is faithful. But we not only see his faithfulness in creation, which is precious all by itself, but more so, more glorious, more sweet is his faithfulness in redemption. I want to talk here primarily about God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to Abraham. Fulfilling them in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Genesis again. You won't be able to keep up with the verses here because I'm not going to give you specific verse references. But going back to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God made Abraham a promise. Come to the land. I will, I will give you land, seed, blessing. Land, seed, blessing. I will give that to you. Genesis chapter 15, he takes, takes uh, Abraham out and says, look at, the, look at the stars. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the heaven. And, and Abraham, no doubt, is thinking, when, when is that going to happen? I'm getting older. How is that going to happen? I'm, I'm getting older. And he gets older, and he's, he's still got no kids. And he says to God, how about Eleazar, my servant? Let him, let him stand in for my son. He's like a son. He's part of my household. Let him be the seed through whom you will give blessing and bless all the world. And God says, nope, not Eleazar, your own son. Time goes on. And because time has gone on, and God and Abraham and Sarah begin to do what? They begin to doubt God's faithfulness. So what do they do? They, they do what we do when we doubt God's faithfulness. They take matters into their own hands, don't they? We, we'll, br we'll bring this about. We'll do this. Sarah says, take, take Hagar, my servant. Have a child with her. We'll, we'll raise up that child as our, as our heir. And, and so that's, that's what they do. And, and God says, Lord, what about, what about this son? What about Ishmael? You know, it's, it's interesting there. Abraham at that point was faithless. But God remained faithful. To his promises. Abraham's now 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. There's no hope. There's no way. It's not going to happen. Why? Because God, God has come too late. He's just too late. For Abraham and Sarah. Not for God. God says next year. Next year. Have a son. Next year. At last. Isaac. That's how God does it. He waits till it's too late, and then he answers his own promises. Why? So that we see that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But then, but then God says, now Abraham, you're my Lord. Abraham, now take the son. I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. What? God has fulfilled Abraham's hope miraculously, and then God says, now go kill that hope. 
God, God just don't, he just expects too much, doesn't he? He just expects too much. But Abraham here is faithful. He goes up on the mountain. He takes, uh, he takes uh, Isaac, he, his, his son, his only son whom he loves. He binds him to the altar. He raises the knife. And the angel of the Lord stops him the last second. And he provides a substitute on that mount. And Abraham calls, calls him Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, because on the mountain of God it will be provided. Substitute at the last second. Years later, still no great nation. Well, we read in Deuteronomy that now Israel, Israel, uh, the Israelites are as many as the sand on the seashore. They've grown tremendously now at the end, after the Exodus, at the end of Deuteronomy. But, but Abraham is not yet the father of a multitude of nations. You know, that's what Abraham means. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he's, uh, he did that because Abraham means father of a multitude. And he means a multitude of nations, and uh, it's not that. And so he waits. And he waits, and Israel waits, and Israel waits, and Israel goes into captivity, comes back out of captivity, and everything's so small, it's just not happening. Where is God? Because he's late. 2,000 years later from Abraham's day, much too late for the Israelites in their mind, the Messiah is born. A more miraculous birth than Isaac's birth. A virgin birth versus a birth to a barren woman. At last, here is the seed of Abraham. But then, unlike Abraham's son, his only son, whom he loved, whom God spared, his own son he did not spare, but offered him up for us all. God, on that cross, killed his people's hope. Killed our hope. As he is wont to do. But then. But then. Resurrection. And there it is. There it is at last. The faithfulness of God in glorified flesh. Then what's God, what does God do? God begins to multiply his descendants through faith. And makes his only son the seed of Abraham. The father of nations. And here is Abraham, great Abraham's greater son. Kings come from him. Kings and queens come from him. And here you are. A royal nation raised up out of the ground as it were. Point is, faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham is so important. God is so committed to fulfilling that promise to Abraham that he must sacrifice his own son for sins, for our faithlessness, so that nations could come to him. It was, it was through Christ for us. It was necessary that it be through Christ so that it could be through faith and not by works or else no one could come and God's promise would have failed. God's promise would have failed. Look with me at Romans chapter 4, verse, six, uh, verse 16 for a second. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. This is talking about God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. 
And he says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his, that's Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Why did it have to be through faith in Christ in order that the promise to Abraham could be fulfilled? So that we become children of Abraham by faith. Because if it were by law, he would have no children. God keeps his promises as demonstrated through Christ fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Has God been faithful? Has God been faithful? Look around you. Here, here supremely is the expression of God's faithfulness. We are the proof. You say, yeah, but what about, what about the future, you know? He's, okay, here I, here I am. Here we are, summer, day, night, spring, winter. It's all, uh, God, okay, God has been faithful. But, you know, next time, I'm not sure he's going to be faithful. I struggle with that. You know, God has been so faithful to our family. How often grief hath he not brought us relief? He's been so faithful. But I'm not sure about next month. Or next year. How do, I, how do I know about the future? Well, Romans, Romans chapter 8 argues exactly that point. That God who has been faithful in the past must be faithful in the future. Romans 8 verse 32 says. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. All things necessary for life and godliness, but all, all things is, is all blessing, all joy, all salvation, all ultimately resurrection glory. That's why it says in Romans 8, 28, all things must work together for, uh, all, all things work together for the good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Or as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, and because this is what it means, all things must work together for my salvation. And it means there, not our past salvation, but our future salvation. On the day of judgment, when we stand before a holy God, and God says, righteous. Not unrighteous, righteous. Why? Because of the work of Christ on the cross and our faith in him, which is demonstrated by faithfulness, God says, righteous. Why will it, well, how, how do we know he's going to do that? Because he gave his son to make it so. He's given the greatest gift. Won't he give the lesser gifts also? Won't he bring us all the way? Will his work on the cross be wasted? Will his blood be lost? Not a chance. But remember, God, God tends to wait till it's too late. 
from our perspective. Remember Lazarus. But resurrection glory never comes before death. But resurrection glory will come. Why? Jehovah Jireh, on the mount of God, it has been provided. Because he has already come. So we sing again, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Ultimately in resurrection. Blessings all mine and 10,000 besides. Why? Because great is thy faithfulness. And because he is faithful, we too can walk in faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness because Jesus is faithful and the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit brings into us the presence of the power, the person of Christ and Christ-likeness. So we too would be faithful. And we could take some time, and I'm not going not to do it now, because I really want to end on the focus on God's faithfulness. But there is passage after passage of the call to our faithfulness, our faithfulness in ministry, in temptation, in the little things, in prayer, in affliction, in our, in our integrity, in witnessing, in fellowship, our faithfulness toward missionaries, and our faithfulness even in death. Remember the story of one of the early martyrs of the Christian church, Polycarp. Polycarp was uh, the second century bishop to Smyrna, and he was, he was burned at the stake and pierced with a sword, uh, with a spear. And uh, because when he was commanded to reproach Christ, he said this, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. What's he saying? He's been faithful. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? faithfulness of Christ himself who most motivates us. I think of John 13, verse 1, and I'll just close with this. John, in John 13, verse 1, it says, When Jesus knew that his hour had come and to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What he means by he loved them to the end, he means he loved them all the way to the cross. He loved them all the way. Brothers and sisters, he loved you all the way to the end. And he will love you because he is faithful. Knowing the faithfulness of God displayed in sacrificial love for us, that's what motivates and enables our faithfulness. Do you, know, do you know the love of God in Christ? Do you know his faithfulness? Do you have that hope? You can't, you can't be faithful to him without knowing his faithfulness to you. But his faithfulness to you is demonstrated by him dying for your faithlessness. Trust him. 
Let's trust him together. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, in Christ, you have been so faithful to us. Your, your faithfulness extends beyond the time when there is day and night. When, until all is day and there is no night. Your faithfulness extends beyond this present age. Your faithfulness extends beyond this present world. Your faithfulness is forever. Oh, grant that we, we look when we doubt. Grant that we look, yes, to day and night and to the recurring seasons, but grant that we look to the cross, to the one who loved us to the end and will keep us to the end. Grant us confidence through your word, by your spirit, in order that we may be faithful to you to the end. For, as our Savior said, he who endures to the end will be saved. Grant us that faithfulness as we look to you. In the name of Christ, amen.